is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. All of my listeners know all too well about my love of film. So it is with great pleasure that I am able to introduce to you today an actor who, over the years, I have admired in a wide variety of roles, from comedy to drama. Christopher Sarandon made his auspicious film debut as the tormented lover, Leon, in Dog Day Afternoon, directed by Sidney Lumet. It garnered him the New York Film Critics Award and both Oscar and Golden Globe Awards nominations. And who will ever forget his delicious portrayal of the evil Prince Humperdinck in Rob Reiner's memorable The Princess Bride? And by giving voice to the character of Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas, he acquired a niche in the world of animation. With television roles in series such as E.R., Judging Amy, Charmed, The Good Wife, just to name a few, his talent has been shared in the balance. But this is an actor who comes from the theater, and perhaps it is in his nature to develop his life roles like a superbly crafted play. Development in Layers. Because Chris Sarandon is now hosting his own podcast entitled Cooking by Heart. In the depths of this great actor lies the intention to connect with others while providing his guests and the audience memories and nourishment, and all while relishing the great joy of the journey. I want to welcome Chris Sarandon to Center Stage. It is such an honor to have you, Chris. Well, thank you, Pamela. It's an honor for me to be here, I must say, and particularly since we're celebrating not only uh, the arts, but also the arts in Connecticut. And I am a, 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 a confirmed uh, resident. I love Connecticut. I've been here for, let's see now, 16, 17 years, close to 18, actually. And uh, I've never been happier. Oh, that's wonderful. Because I gather you come from Backley, West Virginia. That's right. I, I was born, born and raised in a small coal mining town in West Virginia, where my father, who was an immigrant to this country from, well, actually from Asia Minor, but from a Greek village in Asia Minor. Uh, my father came from there in the 1920s. Uh, started out in New York City when he first came here, as many immigrants did, coming through Ellis Island, and um, worked in an automat for a oh. while. <laughs> that was his first job because that was the recommendation that friends of his who, who had immigrated said, as soon as you come, go to the heart and heart out. They always need dishwashers and bus <laughs> and busboys. And so my dad went there, saved some money, and then went and worked for a friend of his in Virginia, which was across the border from West Virginia, which is where I'm from. And uh, my dad ended up with the help of his friend and saving his own money, buying a restaurant in West Virginia, and then became a pillar of his community, uh, married my mom, who was uh, the daughter of a, a Greek family from a Greek town in Florida. And oh. uh, she ended up living there her most of her adult life. And, and I did until I went away to college. How extraordinary. I mean, what was life like there for you? You know, you must have been an artist in your soul, you know, from the beginning. Well, I was an unrecognized, I guess, artist in the sense that I didn't recognize it in myself, nor was I recognized uh, outside of myself for that matter. <clears throat> but I think I was always practicing to be because mm -hmm. 
I lived two lives. I was the son of Greek immigrants. So we spoke Greek at home. Uh, we cooked Greek food at home. My mother did. Uh, and my dad owned a restaurant. And at the restaurant, it was all American. So from the time I was a little boy, I was, in fact, when I would, when my parents and I would go to Greek gatherings around, there would, there would be kind of itinerant priests who would come in, in different towns, and there would be Greeks from different communities in West Virginia who would gather for uh, the celebration of the Greek Orthodox liturgy, but also for something called the Glendi, which is a celebration, which is a party, basically. Greek food, Greek dancing. And from the time I was probably five or six years old, my parents taught me a phrase they said, okay, tell them who you are. And I would say, I'm 100% American and full-blooded Greek. <laughs> that, was my, that was my little mantra that I was, you know, that I recited to everybody. And so I had a kind of bilateral, whatever you want to call it, life of being Greek at home. But when I went to school, I wanted to be just like everybody else. I didn't want wow. to be a Greek kid. And so to my shame, by the way, uh, now, I would try to, to distance myself from that part of me because I didn't want to be different. There were no other Greek kids. There, were, there was one other uh, kid who became my closest friend who was an Italian. Uh, but basically, I was a stranger in a strange land. And so I adapted by taking on a different persona. And throughout my early life, I did that a lot. And so I became an observer and a listener. And I worked in my dad's restaurant as well. So I was surrounded by all sorts of different people from coal miners to working people, uh, retail people who worked in my hometown, to lawyers and doctors who came into my dad's restaurant. So I was exposed to a lot of different people. And I was conversing with them, because I was exposed to them. I was uh, cashing at the cash register, I was bussing tables, I was working in the back of the restaurant, washing dishes, whatever. And so I was exposed to the people in the kitchen as well. And I, I've been blessed with, and you will, uh, I think, identify with this. Uh, I was blessed with a musical ear. I sang mm -hmm. in the, the church choir. I had a good ear for accents and dialects. And so by the time I went to college, I was a full-fledged all-American boy on the one hand. And I was still this 100% American, I mean, 100% Greek kid. Yeah, yeah. A and so... When the time came when I was exposed by an acting teacher in college to exercise this, whatever it was that was going on inside of me, <laughs> and I appeared on a stage and suddenly it was, aha, this is who I am. I'm a mix of all these things and I can express that on stage. And that was the beginning of my life. Fantastic. Of my second life, I should say. Do you know, I want to go back to your mother saying one profound thing, mm -hmm. tell them who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, as, as an actor, myself as a musician, we have to be so honest and raw at times. Yeah. And that advice for you was simply profound at that time. And you've been keeping it real, I think, ever since from the sound. And, my, my, and it's interesting, too, because my mom was always the one. My dad was, uh, <laughs> he, he was... Uh, because he came from a very hard scrabble of beginning, he was uh, he was sent away from home when he was 12 years old to to Romania to work for an uncle in a bakery because his family couldn't afford to keep all of the children. There were six children. Uh, and he and his brother were sent to this bakery to work from the time they were 12 years old. 
And mm-hmm. then he came to this country when he, he was in his uh, early 20s mm-hmm. uh, from nothing, literally. He had to rent money on the boat to get off the boat. Because rent money? Days, yeah. On, in those days, there were people on the boat. You had to have money in your pocket when you arrived. Oh, my gosh. And so he had just barely made his fare. And so uh, there was somebody who said, OK, here you give I'll give you $25. And when you get off, there's going to be a guy waiting for you. You give him whatever you have left in your pocket, the $25 plus maybe he had five bucks. So he literally had zero when he started and he made himself, he was a made man. He became a director of the bank. He was a member of the country club. You know, he was a, still had a very thick Greek accent and he was still very Greek in his outlook. So his view of my being an actor was that I was going to become a gypsy, <laughs> you know, that I was going to go traveling around in a wagon and, <laughs> and, and try to build people for money by performing. Uh, whereas my mother was always, you know, do what your heart tells you to do. That's so beautiful. Yeah. That is so beautiful. Can I ask you, is Sarandon your given name? No, was- no. When my father got off the boat, I have a feeling and I've, I've expressed this often. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, Ilya Kazan movie called America, America, yeah. which he chronicles the, the uh, journey of his, I believe, his grandfather uh, who came over. And my father's, first of all, my father's story was very analogous to, to the story he tells. But what happens is the guy's name, I believe, is Ioannes Kababian. OK, he took on a, an Armenian name when, I, when he was in the old country. And when he gets off the boat, the uh, the guy in Ellis Island says to him, what's your name? And he says, Ioannes Kababian. And the guy says, Joe Arnes. OK, come on. <laughs> and so my dad was Sarandonidis. He was Cristo Sarandonidis. So the guy probably went, Chris Sarandon. OK, let's go. Uh, that's the scenario that, you know, is in my mind that makes the most sense. Interesting. Very interesting. So here you are on this journey. I mean, yeah. you've been let go from the kitchen, <laughs> literally. Yes, right. Released, thank God. <laughs> your home and hearth, you found your real family mm. in the world mm. of acting and walking the boards on theater. And I know that you did a lot of work at the Long Wharf Theater in New right. Haven. That was my first, my very first job uh, out of graduate. Well, I shouldn't say my first job. It was my second job out of graduate school. I spent a year waiting for my now ex-wife to finish school because she was behind me. She was an undergrad and I was a grad. And so I worked for a small improv company in Washington, D.C. for a year. We played schools during the day. We did the Edward Albee play and Chekhov play, and we did improvs with the kids. And then at night, we did experimental plays. And then my first audition for getting out of town, basically, <laughs> was uh, at the Long Wharf. I, I auditioned for the... Um, uh, the Regional Theater Association, and uh, Arvin Brown, who was running the the Long Wharf at the time, uh, was the director, and he hired me right out of right out of the Boondock, not the Boondocks, Washington D.C. But uh, and uh, and well, you I were sp- a gypsy, Chris. You know, you were a gypsy. That's right. That's right. My father was right, <laughs> and 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 uh, we lived in Milford. We rented a little uh, a shack on the beach in Milford, my my ex and I, and two friends, because we couldn't afford the rent. I was of being course. paid 100 bucks a week. And we should say right now, your ex was Susan Sarandon, of Correct. course, who, who you grew up with in this acting family. Yes, that's right. Susan and I were at, at Catholic University together. 
uh, she was an undergraduate and I was a grad when we met and we, we fell in love and we ultimately got married. And uh, we spent uh, at least, I think it was a year, a year and a half in Milford. Uh, and this in this freezing cabin on the water because <laughs> there was no insulation because it was a summer cottage, but it was the only place we could afford. Oh my gosh! Uh, and and then we both serendipitously got agents in New York. We moved to New York, and I immediately got a soap opera. And then Susan started working and got a series, and then I got a Broadway show, and we were off and running. I mean, and it was you really were, kind of extraordinary. You were off. Yeah. So, so tell me the importance of. Uh, of mentors in your early life, especially like at Long Wharf. I mean, you know, we, we know this is a watershed moment for you as an actor. What mentors, who came by along the way in your path that were significant to you? First was a man who, uh, when I was in undergraduate school at West Virginia University, who I took an acting class just on a flyer because I thought it would be fun. And he told me sort of midway through the semester, he said, do you want to be in a play? And at the time I was very involved in politics. I was uh, coordinating homecoming weekend and I was uh, the leadership conference and I was going on a fast political track. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't have the time. And he said, oh, it's a small part, don't worry. So I, I said, well, what the hell? I got to wear a toga. So <laughs> it was a production of Julius Caesar. Uh, in a small little, you know, sort of laboratory theater. And when I finished that production, he said, you know, you're too good at this to waste it. This is what you should be doing. His name is Chuck Neal, Charles Neal, oh. Professor Charles Neal. And he said, I, I want you to play the lead in the next play, Tartuffe, which is a Moliere play, and it's the title character in the play. And the uh, the cherry on the on the Sunday was that not only did I get to um, wear a false nose and a wart, but but I, the the woman who was playing opposite me was a Miss West Virginia. Ah, so immediately, bonus. immediately I said yes, <laughs> and that was it. I was done. I dropped literally. I dropped everything. I dropped all of my my political responsibilities. I moved out of the attorney house. I moved into a boarding house with a with a, a, a an eighty year old lady, lovely old woman. Uh, she and I shared a kitchen, and we each had a bedroom on either side of the kitchen. And I, I just completely threw myself into being in every play I could because I had no experience. Right. Yeah. Right. And then and then um, so he was the first, Chuck Neal. And I think probably uh, um, a guy by the name of Arvin Brown, who ran uh, the Long Wharf, was the next one. Because Arvin saw, I did an audition for Arvin, and he hired me, literally, you know, wet behind the ears, graduate student out of school. Uh, and I was in his company. I was, and I was playing lead roles. I was in the Indian once of the Bronx with Harvey Keitel and, and, um, uh, uh, it was a wonderful company, by the way. Uh, and uh, and Arvin was always encouraging, and he introduced me to my first agent, Arvin did. Look at that. So, yeah, and then full circle, uh, Arvin, who became a very successful television director later in his career, and is, I think is still doing it, and lives in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I worked with Arvin on a TV series that he directed. So we got to work together again when I was Isn't a professional actor and, and he oh, was a I love that I yeah. love that full circle complete yeah. 
And this is why it's so important for all of us as artists to really take stock of the fact that mentors have had such a profound effect on our lives at some point. Absolutely. It's, it's a wonderful thing to reflect on, and especially coming out of this pandemic when we're not seeing so many people personally, you know, just yeah. to, to reflect. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah. I, I always try and speak about mentoring as one of the most positive elements of an actor's or an artist's life. Um, you and I know that it is too easy to be down on ourselves or to, mm-hmm. to lose that spark of confidence. And yeah. sometimes just one thing someone says. Yes, and- exactly. You know, it, it, interestingly, um, while I've been doing this podcast for a time and I'm still associated uh, at various times with the Sacred Heart University Community Theater in downtown Fairfield. And in the beginning, I was doing some of the podcasts at their diner on the campus. And there was a young woman, a graduate student in a film who was assisting the, the technical person who was actually uh, uh, shooting and recording the, the podcast. And I knew that her interest was in uh, cinematography. And uh, I, I could also tell from just the way she was lighting me that she knew what she was doing. And she mm-hmm. was also very, very sort of on top of things. Mm. And so I... Uh, she was my first, for the podcast, my first editor. I said to her, you want to go to work for me? And she, oh. she worked for me for a while. And then I have a very close friend, just serendipitously, the woman by the name of Alice Brooks, who is a major cinematographer now in Hollywood. Oh. And I, I told this young woman, Maddie Robbins, I said, Maddie, would you like to talk to Alice? Because I think I can connect you guys. And I did. And uh, Alice said, oh, I love doing mentoring. So they're connected now. So we pay it forward as forward. it were, as That's much right. as we can. It's very, very important. How fantastic. Chris Sarandon, you're a nice guy. We like uh, that already. Oh, for sure. <laughs> well, let's talk about this podcast then. You know, I, yeah. I'm interested. First of all, you've just mm. told us all who you are by the name, Cooking mm. by Heart. Yes. And I have a feeling you're the kind of guy who wears his heart on his sleeve anyway. But isn't it interesting that we have such a connection with food with others? And and there's always been a connection with film and food and nourishment, as I said mm-hmm. in the intro. You know, there's a sense of communion of spirit. And yeah. the the nostalgic element is so, so wonderful. And you're allowing, you're presenting a stage for your guests to actually imbibe in that. And oh, I think absolutely. we all we all benefit. When did you have the inspiration to to build this podcast? Well, you, we we talked about uh, languishing during the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, as performers, and I was uh, in fact languishing during the pandemic. And uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, who are very close to me, I consider them my brother and sister. Uh, they asked me what I was doing, and I said, "I'm." I didn't say I'm languishing, but basically, I said nothing. <laughs> and uh, and my brother-in-law, particularly, who's a podcast devotee, said, "Why don't you do a podcast?" And I said, "Come on, everybody's doing podcasts." And he said, "Yeah, but you have a unique background because you're Greek. You grew up in a restaurant. Uh, you cook for us whenever you're here. We know you love to cook." Uh, well, so do something about food. And I said, "Everybody's doing something about food." And then I thought, "Yeah, but." what's my particular, what comes from my heart? Mm-hmm. And that is, I grew up in this place that sort of formed me, the restaurant, my dad's yeah. restaurant. Yeah. And why not 
share that with other people. That is to try to bring out of their past what what was important about food when they were kids. What did their mom cook for them? Uh, did their mom work? Did their father cook? Did they, did he work? Uh, what was the dynamic around the dinner table? Um, did you go out to eat? What were your favorite snacks when you were a kid? And what ends up happening is that stories come out. It's not really about the food per se, although I ask each of my guests to give a recipe uh, and they, they immediately and, and enthusiastically comply. Um, it's about the stories and the people attached to that memory, to that childhood memory, which is, as we all know, so very, very strong in all of our lives. Uh, uh, and what comes out of these conversations is really quite, it's quite extraordinary. Funny stories, sad stories as well. You know, this is not a, a, a just a feel-good podcast. This is really about the stories of our lives as we're growing up and, yeah. and how it's influenced us uh, going forward. This is amazing. How What a wonderful idea. Because, you know, I, I'm already feeling awash with uh, the memory of food myself. You know, you're, you're inspiring me to think of my own, own connections. And, you know, when I think of great films like Moonstruck, um, uh, Babette's Feast. Oh, Babette's Feast. I mean, oh. my, my dinner with Andre. I mean, you know, yeah. we're, we're talking about food as a source of communion. Yeah. Literally. That's right. And That's right. You're absolutely right because this does, you know, it's not just another cooking show, thank God. <laughs> I mean, we, uh, we've got enough of those. But yeah. you're 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 talking about something much deeper and this pleasure principle, which permeates all of us. And I think it's a marvelous thing. Yeah. Um, and, and and I'm I'm trying to, even though in the beginning, just just in terms of attracting uh listeners. Uh, I'm I'm I've concentrated very much on uh, people in the entertainment field because I know a lot of them, of course. Uh, and, uh, and uh, literary people as well. Uh, I also have a federal judge who's an old friend of mine who's a gourmet cook who talks about growing up in West Virginia and a, a woman who worked for the family, an illiterate woman who made this extraordinary bread recipe by literally grabbing handfuls of flour and pouring uh, uh, um, uh, untold amounts of water. Who knows? He said she, she never made less than 10 loaves of bread. So that's the only recipe he has is for 10 loaves. Um, I talked to I've talked to a wonderful comedian named Greg Proops, who's from whose line, oh, uh, whose line who's, is it anyway? Yeah, I um, remember him and, well. And his but his memories are just because he grew up his both of his parents worked in restaurants. So it's very interesting how, you know, this thing kind of uh, uh, the, the, the degrees of separation are are few and far between when it comes wow. to this stuff. You this know, I talked to my, Michael Patrick King, who's the director, producer, writer, Emmy, Emmy winning of of um, of Sex in the City. Michael, many memories of bad food at home <laughs> and, and his mother's tears and the mashed potatoes. Well, that mm -hmm. became a theme of the of the podcast. Profound. Uh, Adriana Trajani, a, a, an author uh, who writes uh, cookbooks as well as 18 novels and has been translated into the 38 languages. And she's uh, extraordinary. Um, uh, the list goes on and on. I've got Carrie Elwes from The Princess Bride. Uh, uh, I'm going to do a special Fright Night uh, Halloween oh, podcast with three of the members of the cast. Excellent. Uh, yeah, excellent. So, 
it's been great fun and also uh, an extraordinary learning experience as well. I can imagine. I can imagine. Here are the nine lives, Chris. The nine yeah. lives are yeah, yeah, coming yeah. around. Exactly. I have to say, I, I watched the Michael Patrick King uh, podcast. It was absolutely extraordinary. Oh. And when he told the story about working at the saloon restaurant in New York City, all mm -hmm. of us performers know that experience of having to really get down and get dirty and just work as a waiter. I mean, and then and I, I love the thing that he said about the fact that he never worked more than three months in one exactly. place. Exactly. Because he said, if I if I settle in one place, then I won't make it and I have to make it. And he did that for 18 years. It's a beautiful form of self-discipline. successful man. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he had such self-discipline about that. And it's true. I've, I've interviewed many, many artists who've said the same thing. Or someone came into their lives and just woke them up and said, yes. get out of here now. You've got yeah. to go out and do your art. And it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. going to be a risk. But I have to say, the personal story he shared about Ruth Gordon, I died. <laughs> I thought about it all night. That, yeah. that was one of the best things I've heard in years, my yes. God in heaven. Right. And I can only hope that when I'm her, well, I was her age, I could be the, the same and so current, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That's so one I, of the reasons I'm doing this. That's, that's the reason. Yeah. You know, not everybody can pull a podcast off though, Chris. And, and, you know, you think, okay, you're a great actor. You've done a little bit of everything. You work with some of the greats in the world. You've had such a career, but you actually have this beautiful laid back personality and you manage to let it flow while keeping the, the boundaries, let's say the structure. Well, to me, the show's not about me. Mm -hmm. it's, about, it's about the person who's telling the stories. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's important because that's what's going to, that's what the listener is going to identify with. I mean, right. you know, I'll inject myself here and there when there are things that are, right. are uh, that, that we associate uh, together that I, oh yes, I remember something like that. But generally I try to stay out of the way because these are all extraordinary storytellers. All of these people are. I think you're on the right road with the celebrity element. I think, you know, we all need to know that they're real. Yeah, that they've come from humble beginnings. And yeah. again, getting back to the food quotient, like your mom said, tell them who you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. beautiful. Right. You know, um, how can we find your podcast? Uh, if anybody was, is interested, just go to chrissarandon.com mm -hmm. and all of the platforms, there are links to all the platforms there. I both the audio and video, because we're going to release them on YouTube as well as right. Apple, Spotify, iHeart, uh, any number of so wherever you you listen to your podcast, you'll be able to find it. Cooking by Heart with Chris Sarandon. I can imagine my listeners will want to hear more from Chris Sarandon. And why not? If you come back next Tuesday on Center Stage, my conversation continues with him on his podcast and his acting career with great stories about his work. And if you go to chrissarandon.com, you will learn more about him and Cooking by Heart. His podcasts are up on all the major streaming sites. So until next week, stay safe out there. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.